I wasn't ever going to be famous doing improv. A big part of it was wanting to bring improv back to Phoenix. I want to go out there, I want to soak it up, I want to learn as much as I can, and come back and, and start teaching it, open up a theater, do shows. Welcome to On The Grid, a podcast dedicated to the Valley of the Sun. This podcast is a place where you can come to meet the creators and newsmakers taking this metropolis to the next level. A place where you can learn about what's really happening in Phoenix. My name's Philip Haldeman, and I will be your host. Well, it's a family affair on episode 11 of the podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing my very own brother, Sam Haldeman. He's spreading the art form that is known as long-form improv. It's a craft that some of our greatest comedians have built their art upon. And for years, the Torch Theater has been spreading the love of long-form improv throughout the Valley. And Sam, a former teacher at the Torch, is now opening the second long-form improv theater and training center in Phoenix. It's called Second Beat Improv Theater. Samuel, welcome to my podcast. We're sitting down together. Let's not get in a fight. Let's just make it through this, okay, right? Well, I think this will be one of the first conversations we've had where it doesn't involve uh, us drinking, too. So I think we'll be good without fighting. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) I am drinking coffee, so there's a little bit of, um, you know, drunkenness there, but not bad drunkenness. So so the reason why you're on is because you are um, opening long-term uh, improv theater in Phoenix called Second Beat, Second Beat Improv Theater. I want to talk to you about that and learn all about it. But first, let's go back to the beginning. You were born in 1979. <laughs> no. Uh, so you did grow up in Phoenix. Um, we both grew up in Phoenix mostly. Well, first of all, what is improv? Uh, well, improv is basically just unscripted theater. Uh, there's lots of different versions of it. The most common that people know about is short form, which is similar to whose line is anyway. So I just figure I'd throw that out there and get it out of, out of the way quick. Okay. Um, so then, uh, so there's long form and short form. Um, you prefer long form improv. Correct. Yeah. Why um, is that? I think it's just more fun. I think it leaves you open to trying different things, working as an ensemble um, and getting out of as much as it is improv, because I've done both short and long form, um, as much as it is still improv, the short form is very canned. Mm. Um, you get your games, you get your suggestions from the audience, you have these two to three minute little bit segments, um, and it's easy when you know how to play the game, how to get a laugh every time. And so it stops being improv at some point, mm. because you know the rule of the game is set up, set up, twist, you know, uh, you know so you get these these normal thing, kind of obscure thing, and then crazy wackadoo, and everybody's like, oh, that's so hilarious. Um, so with with long form, you take one suggestion as an ensemble at the, tar- at the top of your show, if that, some, some people don't. Um, um, and you can make that suggestion whatever you want, depending on what the format of your show is, but ultimately, you take the next 20 minutes to an hour, depending on the, the type of show, and, and now you just create scenes and characters that you find ways to weave them all in, and um, make a nice little package with a bow at the end, so everybody is just amazed at what you've done. And sometimes not a bow, really. You know, you never <laughs> <No>. <laughs> know. Like that's a thing. But I mean, sometimes long form improv can be. Um, sometimes it can be hit or miss. But I mean, sometimes it can be amazing. Like I've seen forty-five minute hour-long shows where 
I feel like I just experienced a full-on play that was scripted because it seems so real and so natural. And is that kind of one of the joys that you get out of long form as opposed to uh, like short form? Definitely, yeah. The um, I mean, I'm very fortunate um, because I've been doing this for such a long time. I I can pick and choose uh, what I choose to do now at this point in my improv career, which is nice. When I first started, it was like, oh. I want to play. Who wants to play? Let's just throw a bunch of people. And it's maybe not people that you connect well with. Maybe they're not, you know, necessarily friends or, or performers that play to the style you like to play. So you just, to get on stage, you just take whatever you can get. At this point now, like I said, I mean, I've been doing it for over 16 years at this point. Professionally or have you, I thought you'd been doing it for longer, even longer than that. No, I started in about 2000. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and that was just my initial classes. Right, gotcha. Um, I, I guess, I mean, I would consider myself doing this professionally for most of that. I mean, I don't get paid for every show I do or nearly any. But <laughs> as far as uh, being an instructor, I mean, I get paid for that, doing workshops, doing outside shows like corporate things. I get paid for those from time to time. Sometimes they're free too, depending on what it is. How long but, have you been teaching for? Um, I started teaching... More regularly after I moved back from Chicago. So I'd say around 2009. Okay. So go back a little bit further. When did you like actually first start kind of getting the, the improv bug? Probably actually in high school right. because we did theater sports in in, right. in a, a segment of, of yes. that. You were much better at it than I was. Well, even back then <laughs> it was the short form games. Right, yeah, exactly. Too. It was like whose line is it anyway type mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so even back then I kind of already knew how to play those types of things. Plus I was a lot more energetic than I am now, which is probably why I like long form better because I can do a lot of sitting on stools now <laughs> as opposed to jumping across the stage and trying to fly. <laughs> Um, so that, that definitely, uh, tames you as you get a little bit older, but, uh, so when but you yeah. first started it, uh, what, what, what really attracted you to it? I just liked the unscriptedness and, and the spontaneity. I think that that was one of the things that I did plays. I did, you know, uh, dinner theaters where I had kind of a loose script, stuff like that, but it was, it was just a lot of work. <laughs> um, not that I don't mind working obviously, but, uh, I think that it's, I think that I think that when you have a product that's polished, like a script or like a stand-up comedian or like a, a novelist, things like that, I'm blown away by that because that takes a lot of patience and dedication to do that. And I, I, I don't know. It's like I'm not ADD, but I feel like I probably could be in a way because I'm just like I just need to move and do things immediately. So. It's interesting because I, I, you know, I am the opposite. Um, I have a degree in theater. Uh, I was trained in theater. And the script, at least back then when I was younger, the script is what was was my security blanket. It made me feel secure. It, it, like improv kind of scared me because I was like, well, what do I do? What do I say? You know, so it's interesting that we both kind of have those, you know, opposite ends, you know. Um, and obviously improv is, you know, you've continued to grow with it. Um, obviously, I mean, you started doing it you know, here in uh, Phoenix at Greenway High School, actually, right? Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then you went to ASU and got a business degree. Yep. And then, at what point after that did you decide I want to go to Chicago, the mecca of improv? Well, I was still doing improv because I started right. doing classes at the Jesters. Um, out, it was in um, 
in Papago Plaza off Scottsdale Road. Uh, they've since moved out to Mesa, but that was just in the last year, maybe two years now. I can't remember. Uh, but I started out there in around 2000 taking classes. And so I was still doing it at that point. And I didn't really know anything about long form at that point. But um, a friend of mine that was in the gestures with me said, hey, there's a summer intensive out in Chicago. It's five weeks long. We should go do it. Uh, and so me and three other people got we subletted a room and went out there for the summer and spent five you know plus weeks out there. Um, I, I like I said at that time I knew nothing about it. It was just like okay, try something new, and it came at such a uh, opportune time because um, I was working part time at a bank, so I didn't really have that job thing tying me down. I was just finishing up uh, college. I just graduated that that uh, that fall or that spring, I guess. Yeah, sorry. And, um, and I, you know, I didn't really have, I wasn't in a relationship or anything like that. So I was like, Hey, cool. Let's just jump, drop everything and go. And it was five weeks, right? You said? Yeah. And this is when you talk about intensive, these are like, these are like what? Seven, eight hour days of improv? Yeah. 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 So you're there, you know, from, I forget what the hours were, but seriously, like six or seven hours, you have an hour long break for lunch, but you, uh, you're there Monday through I think it was, I don't know if it was Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday, but I mean, it was still all week long. And, um, and then we'd all go home, shower up and eat and then come back to the theater and watch shows all night and right. hang out and, go and drink out and do whatever. Yeah. Or whatever. And so this is an experience that changes people's lives. Oh yeah. Right. Definitely. Im- improvisers who um, are kind of, they get a taste of it. And then the next thing that they do is they end up going to one of these intensive generally if they're really into it. And then that kind of takes it to the next level. Is that kind of how it worked for you mm-hmm. after this intensive? So so how did you feel after experiencing five weeks worth of classes in Chicago? What were you thinking after that about how you wanted to continue improv in your life? I knew that I wasn't ever going to be famous and rich doing improv. So I know that that was never an intent for me at all. Um, and and a big part of it was wanting to bring improv back to Phoenix because like I told you, there wasn't anything like I wasn't aware of it at that time. There was a couple of small pockets of, of teams doing long form improv, but it was really just the gestures was it. And so my whole thing was I want to go out there. I want to soak it up. I want to learn as much as I can and come back and, and start teaching it. And, you know, open up a theater, do shows, things like that. And um, and it was... So you never intended to stay in Chicago? No, long no. I, I think I had intended to stay longer. Um, I probably was planning another year. I ended up staying for just over three, like three and a half years I was there. Um, and I think my intent was to probably stay about another year. But um, I was performing with my friend Matt Higby and we were doing a show called Tumbleweeds. Um, and we had come back to do the Phoenix Improv Festival. And it was such a great experience. Uh, I'd met a lot of people that I'd either br- briefly met before or um, never met, you know, that were that were starting to form the Torch Theater. So things were going with that. And I decided, I, you know, I wanted to come back and be part of that and, and help to get that growing. Um, I mean, I always still wanted to have my own theater at that time, but I knew that that what Phoenix needed was growth. They needed to be aware of this this art form because it's so amazing and so much fun. And so when I saw what they were doing, I was like, hell yeah, let's get on board with these guys and let's let's promote this thing. You mentioned the torch and the torch long has been the only long form improv theater in Phoenix. At what point did you know about them? 
while you were in Chicago or? Um, I, you know, I don't think I really knew about the torch until after I came back to the festival that year. Um, I knew that there was people involved. Like I, I had known Jose Gonzalez. Um, again, I didn't know him very well at, and at Jose's that time. Jose's one of the founding members. He's one of the founding members. Um, I, I knew Bill Binder, you know, and again, these guys were part of that. I think that those were the people that kind of got me, um, aware that it was already happening and going on here because they've been doing the festival for years before that they were doing the festival before I even left. Right. Um, I'd only been to one prior to that. And that was when I kind of first started out. Um, and it was at the Viad. So I can't remember which year that was, but I think it was probably only early, like, like the third, third or fourth one, maybe I don't even remember, but what did you learn in Chicago that makes you a little bit of a unique teacher here in Phoenix? You know, I don't think it's anything that I specifically learned. Um, I think it's more just the, the experience that I've had because I got to train from a lot of people that most people, if you're an improv nerd, you know, and you envy. Um, if you aren't an improv person, you're like, who the hell is that guy? And you say, oh, it's the Sonic guy. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah. Yeah, because a I, lot of these guys that, are, that you learn from, um, um, they're masters of improv, but also they work in the industry. Television, um, episodic TV, but a lot of commercials. So anyway, yeah. you learned a lot of good stuff from really well-known teachers. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So it's it's not so much, because you could teach improv anywhere. It's who you're learning it from, though, that really can resonate. And there's been a lot of great things. Um, you know, one of the, the great things that was uh, was mentioned in a class by one of my instructors is is the idea of bring a brick not a cathedral and I love just like that just resonated me with so much and wasn't I don't think it was even his original thing I think it was probably you know the previous teacher that he had that inspired him but but that idea of just you don't need to write the whole script and I think that was kind of what you were alluding to with not knowing what to do and it's like just Bring one piece of information and trust that everybody's going to build on that together and we're going to make this wonderful castle uh, as opposed to, you know, feeling like you have to do everything and all the legwork. Uh, but I do think that the other thing that makes, if you want to say uh, a unique thing about myself, is is that I am a business person. I Like you mentioned, I, I did go to school for business and I'm pretty savvy, um, not so much in the, in the uh, you know, Facebook and, and social media <laughs> things as, as much as I'd like to be. Uh, but I, I do know how to run a good business. Um, and that's part of the reason why I was there as well is because I wanted to soak up as much as I could. So I was an intern. I worked in the bar. Um, I, I was very close um, with uh, Sharna, who runs IO. and not close like, hey, we're buddies, but close in, in proximity because I worked in her office as, as part of my internship. Um, and I was uh, the, you know, assistant to, to the bar su supervisor, things like that. So I was always in that theater. I was seeing how things were run. I was sitting in on classes. Um, and that's another wonderful thing, opportunity that I had was because of, especially the bartending aspect of working there, um, I got to meet all the performers and instructors. And so when I was like, hey, do you mind if I sit in on your class? They're like, yeah, come on in. And half the times, halfway through the class, they're like, Get yeah. up on stage. Let's just do this, you know? Um, and so that was great. And I got a lot of great feedback from them as well because it's tough when you are an employee there and they they think that's all you are. When you are mm -hmm. a performer, you are, you know, hopefully considering yourself a comedian, that sort of thing is like, now these people are seeing me 
from behind, out, from outside behind the bar and saying, oh man, you are really talented. I love, you know, I love those choices you make. I love this, that. Uh, and so that really it made me feel confident even more so in what I was doing to say, I can, do, I can bring this back here to Phoenix and, and you know, bring what I've learned and, and hopefully help develop that. So not only when you were in Chicago, you got a good education, artistic education, but you got, a, you got a, an education on the business of improv and how to run an improv theater and all that entails, right? Definitely. Cool. You said um, you had that moment about um, the Phoenix Improv Festival. Was that the moment when you decided you were going to come back a little earlier than expected? Yeah, I think that when, you know, when I was, because I'd stayed with you a couple of days there. Um, we were at your place there on Fillmore. And, um, right. I was living I, downtown at the time. Yeah, yes. and I think that was, you know, just just being out there, sitting outside with you, hanging out, talking. Just, I think those were kind of the, the aha moments. Uh, I wasn't even necessarily being at the Herberger itself and experience the moment, but I just being back with family too, which is another reason why I always wanted to come back is because this is where I was born and raised and, and all my friends and family were here. But it, it was just that feeling of like completeness, like, hey, this is, this is perfect. Almost to the same extent of what took me to Chicago, all those things perfectly aligned um, brought me right back, I feel like. You mentioned um, being complete. Uh, one of the things that is important to me about this podcast is to feature the city I grew up in, the city we grew up in, Phoenix. Um, I love this town. It's continued to grow in character and in size. And you mentioned Phoenix too. So I was curious how this city makes you complete. Well, I mean, it's the town I grew up in, so I, I've got so much history of this place of my own. Uh, I mean, growing up, I was mostly on the the kind of northwest side of things, where there's not really a whole lot going on. Um, and, and ever since I moved back, I've, I've definitely been a downtown or uptown, more like it, uh, type person. I hate to say it, but the city isn't always been that great, you know? I mean, there's not been something that people go, oh, I got to go to Phoenix for this thing, you know? I mean, and that's what I, I think that the city deserves is is more fun stuff, more things to do, and it's becoming that. There's a lot of wonderful things that are going on in Phoenix. I mean, I like, I'm happy to be part of the improv side of things, but that aside, there's great music going on, there's great art going on, um, and I, I, I want to see that that is continuing to grow too, and and that's one of the things that uh, I really enjoy about uh, shows at, at the Torch, for example. Um, we do a, a weekly show there called The Neighborhood, which I think is a great, brilliant show towards a nod to the Phoenix people because uh, it's a show Jose Gonzalez produces and invites people from around the neighborhood, uh, the neighborhood, if you will, yeah, uh, to come and tell stories, and then we improvise off of yeah. them. So he brings in artists, comedians, uh, political people. I mean, he's actually he's wonderful. Yeah, I've done the show. I've been a monologist on that show a number of times, and actually, almost probably all of the people that we've had on this show have been on have been monologist on the neighborhood myself so, included twice yeah. <laughs> so you can actually be in the theater and be a monologist at the same time sure. as well cuz doing that every week that's a tough gig man like trying to find you know i mean there's lots of crazy talented people in this in this city but it's still hard to find people to 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 fill that spot every week oh, and yeah. and to be able to do that on a weekly basis is is no small feat so you got to give the torch props for doing that um and so at what point did you become kind of like a permanent fixture at the torch? 
very early. Like I mean, when you first moved back from When Chicago, I first basically. moved back into town, basically, yeah. I mean, um, again, one of the nice things about not uh, really having any obligation when you first got back here uh, because of no, no regular job or anything like that was I was pretty free to do what I wanted. Um, I was able to save some money so I didn't have to rush back to work, which was nice. Uh, so I was uh, I was staying for the first couple of months with a friend of mine on the north side of, of town, uh, right off the uh, right off the 51 and 101 loop, and driving downtown every week, several times a week to to go to the the torch meetings, to go to classes, to see shows, things like that that were happening. So it was yeah, it was uh, a hefty drive back and forth like that. But uh, I mean, I was there every day that there was something going on. And I was uh, watching, the, the big thing was I was watching the classes uh, to, you know, kind of take notes and, and to see what's working, what's not. And uh, and since then, I became uh, the education director at the Torch Theater and, um, and was able to primarily do the level one class. Um, and, and so really teach, the level one teach, teach it. Yeah. yeah. Just introductory um, basic. Yeah. yeah. And was able to really build a strong retention that led to the further classes as well. And, um, another big thing that I was really proud of that I did was the drop-in workshop. Uh, but it was just an intro thing the first Saturday of the month where you come check it out, do a couple exercises for a few hours. And, um, that, you know, went from having like three people, if I was lucky, uh, to one time I had 22 students, I think in that for, uh, for a three hour workshop, which is ridiculous. Wow. I mean, that's, yeah, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of large classes, which is why, um, you know, I, I limit the classes at second beat to, to 10 because I, I want to make sure that they're getting enough attention. I, I have people come in through, through out of town doing workshops, things like that, or, uh, classes at, in Chicago that they'll have like 16 students. And I'm just like, how do you how do you train them effectively? How do you give them a fair shake on what you're doing when they get one one scene on stage for three hours? Um, but yeah. you're super busy right now with mm-hmm. with Second Beat, so this is kind of big. Um, it's the only the second long form improv theater in Central Phoenix. Tell everybody about Second Beat. What is that? And you, you had mentioned earlier that you wanted to do form your own theater here. Mm-hmm. So at what point were you like, okay, I'm doing this? Well, I think it was basically the end of last year. So about a year ago, I, I just finally was getting to the point where, you know, I felt like there was a lot more to offer. I lo- I've loved working with The Torch and I've been with them for about eight years. But at the same time, I, I feel like I wanted to do more of my own thing too. And and I, I felt like there was things that The Torch wasn't able to focus on like I want to, I want to focus on on having uh, stronger performers, and and by doing that, I think that that's like scene work itself is one of the core things that I want to focus on, and that's what my level three class is actually about, is really just primarily scene work, um, and I think that that the torch. When you say scene work, for those who don't know, what does that mean? Uh, well, it's basically just the the moment on stage with your scene partner in which you're creating. Um, generally, uh, the average scene is, is like a three minute scene but it's between about, two characters. It's about kind of, creating a rich scene between two or more people, basically. Yeah. Finding the relationship of that. Um, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Um, there's, you know, 
there's there's finding the game of the scene or the pattern of the scene, which is one thing that uh, I'm not a huge fan of because it takes me back to like the the, the short form looking for this thing that's going to make people laugh. Uh, so I don't usually like to say the game because that infers fun and funny. So I like to say the pattern uh, more so myself is because the pattern is like, what is this thing this character is doing that's making them interesting to the audience, to to the other characters, things like that. Um, you know, so that's one thing to focus on. Uh, the relationship itself is always a huge thing. Is like, why do we want to see these two people on stage together? Is huge, yes. Yeah, um, and and it could be something as simple as just one of my favorites uh, are you know referred to as slice of life moments, and that, those are just those moments where it's two buddies just shooting the breeze. And it's not about anything. You know that they're friends based on the way they're talking to each other. But it's those moments of like, um, this is what we're talking about, you know. So I think, uh, you know, to answer that, that question, like one of the things that I want is richer scene work. Okay. And, and the, the Torch uh, does a nice job of that. But I think that they just aren't able to fill uh, their space with more than they've got. Because they've already got six levels. They're teaching a lot of formats. Um, and, and you know, they, they have the intro level and the, the level two classes which still focuses on scene work and it's throughout. But at the same time, I think that I'm really looking forward to having stuff where it's, hey, this is all about scene work. This is what we're going to do. So that way, when you go over there and start look, working on formats, you're going to get this. You're going to get it and you're going to have a good time and not not be stressed out by it. The, one of the first things that I, when I mention uh, to, to some of my uh, students that have already registered that have been through the torch, or potential students that have been through the torch as well, is that when I say there's no formats where I'm teaching, like their light, their face lights up. They're like, oh, thank God, I don't have to worry about like these these formulaic things that I have to hit in each beat and things like that. Um, and I think that's one of the things that stresses people out because we would see a huge drop off after level three there because it's learning a format called the Herald, which is one of the most constrictive formats in improv, and it's difficult, but it's also one of the most amazing and fun if you can if you can learn it and do it well. And in fact, I, I love uh, one of the the groups I play with, Displacers. We do a Herald, and and we've gotten to the point now where we have so much fun with it. We don't we don't stress about the format anymore, and we're just playing and, and living for the moment of the show, and it's great. Um, but that's that's the thing. It's like I don't want people to be turned off by having formats that they have to adhere to, and so I'm hoping that that by having this new option for them. That they're going, okay, great, uh, awesome. Now I want to go back and retake this class over at the Torch that I took because I feel more confident in my scene work and in my my ensemble work and things like that. And so I'm really hoping that we can feed off of each other in that way. And and we're you know really working to do that. And and one of the great things, for example, that that uh, the Torch is is uh, working with me on as well as crossing over our students. So the students at my theater and the students at their theaters can come see shows at either place for free. Um, so they can oh, start cool. to get that, uh, you know, that, that huger, the huger, uh, the fuller <laughs> community kind of aspect. You're really looking at growth in the, in the improv mm-hmm. community here, it sounds yeah. like. You know? Definitely. I'm not planning, it's not my intent or goal to like take over and knock the torch out. That's never, ever been any thought in my mind. I love, I love the, the fact that there's that, that idea of competition because I think that forces everybody to work a little bit harder and, and bring new, new skill sets and training and options uh to each theater and and 
I I would love uh, and and I've joked with friends about this as, as far as like because I'm so close to the torch. Mm-hmm. They're on Central and Camelback. I'm on Bethany and Seventh Street. So it's it's a five minute car ride if that. Um, but we we've joked about like having little sprouts of of other improv theaters all in that area and like making it this whole community area where you can just go and finish a class at one place and then go watch a show at another place and then you know uh, find something to do with the, a third. The grand opening for Second Beat Theater is January 7th, right? Yes. Okay. So let everyone know what's happening on that night. Um, It's just a small little occasion. Um, What we're shooting for is just uh, we're going to have our doors open at 630. A little bit of an open house. Come through. Check it out. It's so small that it won't take you 30 minutes to walk through it, believe me. Um, and then at seven o'clock, we're going to have a, uh, a show, just a short show, uh, birds and broads, which is actually Jackie and, and, uh, Liz Hutchman. They're going to open up the night, uh, probably do like a 20, 25 minute set. And then Sam and Shane will, uh, go second and do about the same. And, um, and then just kind of wrap it up, uh, hang out. People can chill, hang out, do whatever. Um, there'll be shows at the torch. So if you want to rush over and see another show, you can, get on the road and, and head over there next too. So some of the torch people will be there before they have oh, to head out. So. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> and you've been, you've been working on the, on second beat for a while now. You, you had a GoFundMe campaign, correct? Still running. How's that yeah. going? Actually so much better than I ever imagined. I am so amazed at the feedback that I've gotten from that. People have been so wonderful. I've, I've had people mix donations several times and that's been so awesome. Um, I, I put it up there. I mean, almost as a fluke, I, I knew that I'd raise some money and I was like, any little bit's going to help because this is expensive. I mean, I have to, I have to, you know, get all kinds of city stuff done and, and the permitting process. Exactly. Stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I'm almost at my goal. I'm, I'm like just over $600 away from a $5,000 goal that I had set for myself. And I, you know, I still could use the money, you know. uh, but even but, just to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been amazing. Uh, so I'm, I'm very pleased that that has gone uh, as well as it has. And people have been so wonderful about sharing it with their friends too. And so a lot of people that I don't even know have, have helped wow. out and they're like, Hey, it's amazing. Yeah. Wow. So then why is improv important? In the greater cosmic scheme of things, you know. You know, I, th- I really think that it's such an important thing for people to at least at least try an entry level class at some point, um, just because it really opens up your mind to to saying yes and. Uh, now, what not- is yes and? Because I guess you should probably like explain that just a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, for those yes who and, don't know about it. Yes and is is basically the core principle of of, of pushing a scene forward. Uh, instead of saying no and shooting down people's ideas, you say yes to it. And then, and is adding additional stuff to it. So um, if I were to start a scene by saying, let's go to the water park. Yes. And we'll slide down the the steep shoot, whatever. Yes. And and I'll catch you at the bottom. That's the most basic of it. I mean, obviously you, you, you'll drop the yes. And of it, and it'll be that, that inferred thing of, of we're yes. Anding the scene and moving it forward. Um, but by, by saying no, you stop things. And that's what people do. They put up walls mm. and they stop the, they stop ideas because they're afraid. They're afraid that they're going to, uh, they're going to get into something that they're not comfortable with or that say they don't know about. Stupid. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's, that's the beauty of, of improv is there's nothing stupid because I know I've said some things 
things that in normal situations in a scene would have just been like that was crap. But because of the ensemble that I'm with and, and that I trust them so much, they, they turn all that stuff into brilliant, uh, you know, a brilliant outcomes. So, and so do you see yes. And as saying, what if you say no to life, right? How does yes. And carry over into real life? Well, I'm opening a theater. <laughs> I mean, uh, that actually one of the things that 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 stemmed from was something at work. Believe it or not, um, when I was at my day job, my regular gig, um, I was talking with uh, one of my coworkers, and she was talking about wanting to buy a house, and I was talking about wanting to buy a theater or run, wanting to open up a theater, and we had said okay, by the end of the year, I'm going to open a theater. And by the end of the year, I'm going to buy a house. Well, I did, I did my part. <laughs> but that's the thing is like, I might not have done it if, if somebody else hadn't said, you know what, we can do these things. And and so I think that's, you know, the, the power of yes, Andy is you, you, it, it's like quitting smoking. You know, you, you can't, you, you have to tell people you're quitting smoking. You can't just say, I'm going to quit. Because if you don't admit to it, if you don't admit that you need to quit, then then you'll always be like, oh, nobody knows I can sneak one here sort of thing, you know? So you have to say, I'm going to do this and live up to it and do it. I ask every person on the show, where do they see Phoenix 10 years from now? I would love to see the end of outward growth and a little bit more of upward growth. And I don't necessarily mean like skyscrapers, like New York City kind of thing. Um, and when I say upward growth, I just mean uh, let, let's let's build let's build in the areas that we've already got, rather than just keep pushing out. Because oh look, there's nobody on this block. I can own this whole area by myself. Um, let's, I, and I think that's kind of the thing is like we're so disjointed with each other as a community because nobody wants to interact. You know, and and I think the only way that that's going to happen is by having things for people to go out to. Um, and and when you live 15 miles away, you're not going to come somewhere. It's just not going to happen because you're going to get home from work. You're going to take your shoes off. You're going to sit on the couch and be like, I'm done for the night. Um, I mean, it's hard enough when you're a block away, you know, to get out sometimes. But by by having opportunities in your area, you know, music, um, uh, improv, acting, opera, play, uh, poetry nights, anything like that. I think it's wonderful. I love, I love the idea of, um, uh, like the Roosevelt row first Fridays, things like that. Um, I don't necessarily like some of the things that I've seen lately. Cause I feel like that that's kind of pushing away from the original idea. That's a whole but other subject altogether. That, yeah. We'll, we'll get on another podcast yeah. for that. I'm sure. Uh, but I do think that the, the original intent of that was awesome and amazing and, and the right direction where I'd like to see Phoenix go. Cool. Totally. Well, there you go. That's tangible right there. Um, cool. Thank you, my brother. Good luck with Second Beat, and uh, we'll be seeing, we'll be getting people out there. Thanks. My brother's pretty much made a career out of improv comedy, so obviously I've been around it for most of my life. I was lucky to meet and hang out with some immensely talented performers when he was training out at I.O. in Chicago. And over the last decade or so, I've seen the improv scene here in Phoenix grow. And I've been lucky to perform with some of the best improvisers in town. Now, improv is a niche art form, but when it's done well, it can be brilliant. However, maybe even more important 
Improv it has a transformative power on those who learn it and partake in it. Everybody's heard of the acting bug, but, but it's hard to deny the power of the improv bug. Improv has drawn all walks of life. Some have been lifelong performers, others had never stepped onto a stage before. But after a while, an improviser grows into his or her own. It's like they become the person they were meant to be. The world becomes their oyster. It's a beautiful thing. If you'd like to reach us, we can be found at onthegridphx.com or email us at onthegridphx at gmail.com. On the Grid is produced by Chris Ayers. Intro music was performed by local band Factories. They can be reached at factoriesmusic.com. And by the way, sticking with our theme of local, we feature local bands on each episode of our podcast. In honor of our theme of improv, we won't be featuring a band this episode. Instead, we're featuring an improv troupe. The group is called Dangerville. It's a two-person musical troupe that performs here in the Valley. They can be found on Facebook. And keep an eye out for the grand opening of Second Beat Improv Theater, 6.30 p.m. January 7th. The address is 6040 North 7th Street. And it's free. Once again, thank you guys so much for joining us on our 11th episode of On the Grid. Bye, 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 bye.